Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Daily Planet Productions podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman and I am a giant caterpillar with a face. And this is my friend swimming around inside my body, Scott Daly. Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Daily Planet Productions podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the... Now, now, baby caterpillar Scott, we already did that part. Oh, this is the weekly podcast where you and I eagerly dive into Wildbo's world of general fucky effects and alien based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week we are back in the beacon and we're here to talk about chapters 8.4, 8.5 and 8.6. It's been it's been quite a while, Matt, since we've talked about new chapters. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm pretty excited about this. Both of us forgot how to do this podcast again. Yeah. So that happens co- just 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 yeah. constantly. It appears to take like eight days for us to forget because yeah. <laughs> seven days and we're fine. Um, anything past that and no. But yeah, these are some fun chapters. Uh, I think I think it's crystallizing that our guess that the, the beacon in this story was Victoria's beacon um, of trying to draw together the superheroes uh, to work together in some new framework um, and there, there's there's other other things that could be going on. There's definitely some some subtextual things with, with what's going on with various characters in these chapters. Um, there's at least one other beacon that I can think of, but uh, we will we will talk about all that when we get there. Yeah, there, you're right. There, there's so much going on here, and I, the stuff that I really like that I hope we're going to get into is a lot of the the subtle stuff going on in the background. I think Victoria's plan is is taking center stage, is like this shining beacon in front of everything. But we have working in the background some some subtle character movements, especially with Sveta with three, these three chapters that I just found really interesting. And I look forward to diving into those with some um, some attention because I don't think it uh, I don't think it bodes well for our, our our tentacle lady. Yeah, definitely. So some quick announcements. Uh, first of all, a reminder for the fan art contest. You have three weeks from the time that you're listening to this, assuming you're listening to it immediately when it drops, because of course you are. Uh, yes. that to, to submit your entry for the fourth worm slash ward quarterly fan art contest entries are due Friday, August 17th at 11 59 PM central time. Check out the link in the description of this episode for more details. Yeah, there we go. Three weeks left. There's still plenty of time. So if you haven't started drawing yet, do, do it, do it. Yeah, do it. You can do it. You can do it. I believe in you individually. <laughs> All right, uh, so community spotlight where we read what people wrote from last week's thread. So last week was our mailbag episode, so we didn't have too much uh, discussion going on in the thread and no direct answers to our mailbag uh, questions, but we did get one mailbag question via email right as we were recording that didn't make it on the episode. Uh, But I thought we had time to circle back around um, and do it today because it's a good one. Yeah, so Lucas asked us, uh, how do you weigh the important things like numbers, scientific accuracy, and more extensively or comprehensive world buildings against the focus of the narrative, especially in a semi-rational fiction like Worm or Ward? How do you balance those components, and does the web serial format change how you go about that number science balancing and world, world building? World building, not ward building. Um, so I, I thought this was a pretty fascinating question, Matt, because I think it gets to this idea of 
in any kind of story, how much importance is placed on accuracy, scientific accuracy of numbers. Like I think what, what, um, what Lucas is specifically referring to here is times when like people have called out wild Bo for saying, um, this wasn't the right number of passage of time or this, the population should have been higher or that rock should have been heavier. Like, like what is what is the importance of the balance between making your numbers add up correctly versus serving your story? Um, I mean, I think this is a, this is actually a pretty deep question uh, because it's definitely possible to get this wrong. And I'm not even sure that I could articulate why exactly I think Worm and Ward and the Parahumans universe does it so well. I mean, it, it was, it has always been one of my kind of one of the things that, that makes this kind of elevates it to me is the fact that it is this superhero story, but it exists within us within what I consider to be a fairly robust science fiction framework where while those actually thinking about things like, like keeping track of matter and energy and yes, there's also like space warping effects and interdimensional things that don't have any, like we don't actually know if that's possible and it probably isn't possible the way it's portrayed in the story, but that's the that's sort of the sci-fi conceit and you just kind of roll with it and it makes everything else make sense like so i i think it was i think it works very well as a science grounding it works for me you know as as someone who yeah. cares about these things and thinks about these things <laughs> um i don't know maybe there are some people who who like are completely derailed when they hear some you know number that that doesn't make sense to them but uh it I, I I was never my suspension of disbelief was never broken in, in any of these stories due to something that the powers did because I could always even if it did sort of like catch my attention it was usually something that I could think about and think like well how how would the shards do that you know um, yeah that's that's my thoughts on that yeah I mean my answer is just that uh, I think narrative trumps everything like I, even that scientific stuff is a slave to the narrative and a book we've said this many times before but a book teaches you how to how to read it so the book basically establishes what are the important numbers the important facts the important scientific things and what are the things that it doesn't care about as much and so as long as the story holds true to the own rules that it's set up in regards to those things um yeah serve the narrative do that that kind of stuff i think things like um, the, when we get down to the nitty gritty of, of numbers, um, and, and, and like plotting out ex the exact weights or numbers of a population or, or things like that are just not, not the level of detail of facts and numbers in science fiction that this book wants to get into. Um, I think it, you're absolutely right that it wants to largely stay true to, uh, the fictional world that it has created, but it just doesn't have time and I don't think it should to get down to the nitty gritty of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think it does just enough explanation that you follow what's going on without being uh, bogged down in it. Right. Right. But I think yeah. even like even books that are slaves, like that, that are like really, really hard science fiction that, that want every number to add up every scientific thing to have basis in our reality. I think it's still doing that in in service of the story in service service of the narrative it's like it's just decided this is the story i want to tell and so i think it all follows that oh yeah 
Yeah, I mean, that's why I always rave about Blindside is because it is this hard science fiction story, but it's actually the characters that are the part that I that I love. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So good question, Lucas. Sorry yeah. we didn't sorry we didn't get to fit it in last week, but we recorded that episode on time, which is which is early for us. These days. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's move on into the chapters and start up with 8.4. And uh, we open this chapter clarifying that indeed our gross eye boy crystal clear is indeed an inmate of the bare human prison the uh the team breakthrough members discuss a bit how the prison works with the genders taking turns exercising in the yard and then they go into the rules of the exercise area many of which are enforced by the pecking order of the prisoners themselves yeah this is this is another example of you know just really great world building detail here um there's been a few clues i think earlier in the story that that the prison was going to end up like probably a pretty important key location. But I think the fact that we take the time to really lay out the pecking order, as you said, is an even bigger indication of that to me, um, where we're establishing the rules of the prison, both the formal rules by the authority and the unwritten rules by the prisoners. And then we're kind of firmly like sitting our two characters into this. We, we define how they fit into these rules, these roles. Um, so we take all this time to do this. We set the scene so that we can later call back to it and drop back into it and understand it. And I think that's just, you know, really good storytelling. Yeah, not just our two characters, but we're introducing a few other characters who are tangential. Um, but right. we, we get their names, we get their attitudes. And even if we never hear about them again, uh, that's good world building. But you kind of suspect that we might hear about them again. We yeah, uh, we will. Yeah. Um, and so you were trying to do this thing, Matt. Where you were just going to skate by the part where two of our characters just joke about how long they can <coughs> last. Uh-huh. And I'm not going to let you do that. I'm not going <laughs> to let it happen. All right, let's discuss this for 25 you know, minutes. The, the crazy part about uh-huh. this scene is it's really uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> and... Like, it's so it's so funny because, like, everyone is uncomfortable as soon as they go down this road. Like, I understand it's two kids joking around, but like, like, look out is uncomfortable. Victoria is uncomfortable. Sveta is uncomfortable. And then Tristan jumps in with this this line here that says everything's fair game so long as nobody's uncomfortable. And I should be like, dude, uh, read the room yeah. and stop talking about how long it takes you to jizz around the 11 year old girl. Yeah. See, see, I actually, I read Sveta as being uncomfortable. I don't know if I read, I think I just read Victoria, like, rolling her eyes in the, like, oh, oh, boys way. Um, and I couldn't. That's I, uncomfort, I, though. That's like. I, that's, I guess, yeah. I guess that's a form <laughs> of discomfort. Not the same as, as Sveta, who's, like, disturbed by it and, and wants him to stop talking about it. Yeah, yeah sure. but I, I actually think, like, as much as this is a fun little, little joke side beat i think what we're doing is early establishing here like sveta is the one that break this breaks this up and she's the one that's actually you're right i think out of all these people here she is the most uncomfortable and we're we're getting ourselves primed i think for a few chapters that are going to address uh some of sveta's issues and um that's all I'll say for now, but I think I, I think this just serves as us to kind of get into the mindset of this is going to be a, a a chapter, a series of chapters where we're dealing with Sveta's uncomfort, uncomfort. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's definitely discomfort. That's definitely that's in word. here in, in these in this arc. 
So yeah, Crystal Clear apparently has been talking to a lot of other people, like an unusual amount, and this is why he stood out to Ashley. Yeah, because he's like a he's like a spy and stuff, right? That's, that's what he is. I mean, that's yeah. So I don't know. We we avoid the theory stuff, <laughs> but but the last we saw of Crystal Clear, he was he was talking about like some sort of clandestine clandestine. Um, uh, uh, relationship with with the wardens, and he does have a perfect power for keeping an eye on things and spying. So I have I have ideas of why he's in the prison. Um, I refuse to believe my good good crystal boy has done anything wrong. Yeah, exactly. And therefore, he has to be a spy. Yeah, exactly. Wait, yes. So <laughs> yeah, so so they also mention just kind of catching us up with all the characters in the background that. Love Lost is hanging out with Damsel's villain friends, formerly of Hollow Point, and Love Lost now seems to be the leader. I, I really, really like how this whole thing unfolds. We we talked about way back in the day that we there might have been this like actual bonding between Ashley and these villains she's hung out with. And like after Eclipse, we know that Ashley really like like has this desire to be around people. She just feels like she can't. So she's like separated herself and, and isolated herself. But in this moment, she just says, Oh, my friends. And it's just so casually dropped in here. Nobody comments on it. We don't have this big, long Victoria. Oh no. I'm worried about Ashley moment where she says, Oh God, she's really friends with these people. What does that mean? It's just a thing we throw out there. Just a true fact about Ashley that she did truly consider these people, her friends. Yeah, that's funny. I, I, I don't I don't want to say I glazed over it, but I don't think I like absorbed the fact that she's like, oh, oh, my friends like I and then there's potentially people they're going to have to fight later. So, yeah, that's yeah, that's important and interesting. Uh Cool. Yeah. So Ashley then recounts how she won over the leader of the women's block by tearing off her own hand dramatically. Um, For some reason, I just thought it was hilarious when when she's kind of bragging about this and rain is like messy. And then says to Savet, and then says very seriously to to Ashley, messy, because I, I, <laughs> I just I don't know. It was it's you can you could easily imagine the whole story of like him being woken up in a rush to come patch up like as, as she's bleeding out, and, and she just did it to like make a point. It's such a it's such an Ashley thing to do, and and such a rain situation to find himself in. Yeah, it absolutely is, and I think what what this thing does really cool for me is that like there's a lot of interaction at the beginning of this chapter. We're defining the prison and defining each of these characters roles in them. As we said, Ashley seems to be doing okay in prison. Like she's, she's got respect of one of the strongest people there by doing crazy Ashley things. Um, rain. It's not doing too good. He's like bored. He like, hasn't really talked to anyone because like the only way you can really talk to people, uh, is, is by either like running while chatting or being good enough to be on the basketball court. And like, he feels like the, the, on the guy side, the only people that are controlling the basketball court, the only way to, to influence them would be to kill someone. So he's just like, he's not, his prison is not a good experience so far. Um, and I think that's very on brand for these two characters. Yeah. It is interesting that he's not like, it's not worse, right? Like, like no. yeah, you, you're exactly right that he's not, he's not thrilled to be there, but it's kind of like, it, I guess living with the fallen for so long has kind of desensitized him to some things because like if, if I was in prison and, and I 
was like meeting you at the at the little phone booth and i was like i i was like yeah you know i'd have to kill someone to be allowed to to use the basketball court i wouldn't be saying i wouldn't i wouldn't be like saying that casually i would be like haunted and and so it's kind of in his life for a while though basically yeah i mean his his biggest problem right now seems to be that he's just bored which is I mean, for the life Rain has had, not a bad problem to find yourself in. Yeah, that's true. But, but yeah, he's definitely not like slipping into the prison lifestyle the way that Ashley is, which I don't think anyone really expected him to. Yeah, yeah. So there's something here that I wanted to point out um, before we move on. There's a moment where Ashley, after Ashley casually talks about ripping her arm off and we see Kenzie's response here, which is to say, awesome. Look at reaction to the self dismemberment with awe and glee because of course she did. And the thing I, f- I find interesting about this is Victoria's response here. She is, she doesn't really see this as I need to be worried about Kenzie or try to root out what this means or or think I have to talk through with her later. No, it's this it's this quick semi sarcastic quip that um, that I don't think I might be wrong, but I don't think I've seen her use that because of course blank um kind of talk before it's very sarcastic and and so it it jumped out to me here and it jumps out to me especially because it's not the last time she's going to use it in these chapters we're talking about so i just wanted to bring that to your attention here so i could also talk about it later yeah you're right it's it's sarcastic and it and it expresses a bit of frustration too yeah Um, yeah yeah i I, uh let's 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 move on and then i look forward to to pointing out the latter ones yeah so before they're forced to leave, Lookout mentions that they'll send books with the care package and that she sleeps with her head on a book sometimes. Um, nothing nothing stands out about this. Um, yeah, it's, it's really funny because like on further analysis, when you go back and read it a second and a third time, this really does jump out to you, right? Like at, yeah. at least to me, like this, this is like, yeah, this was really weird. But on my first read through, like... Kenzie has been so long established as this character who just like talks and talks and talks about this random stuff sometimes. So I I think it's very easy to dismiss this as just more of that. Um, And I think this is how a clever writer can hide information in plain sight as long as he stays true to who the character is. Like, yeah, Kenzie, in retrospect, a lot of what she's saying here is like targeted and weird. Like if we look, it's like, um, I had stacks of them on my bed piled high enough that they could have tipped over and bruised me. I'd sleep with my head on a book sometimes like those, those two thoughts don't really add up. And it's because she's specifically targeting this last sentence for information passing, but she just, she's also someone that just likes to talk a lot. So yeah. I Wildmo has hidden this information inside the normal everyday musings of a character. And it doesn't, at least to me, didn't jump out to me on first read. It only jumped out to me in the sense that I, I didn't, I didn't doubt it. I was just like, man, I don't think he, I, like you, that'd be so uncomfortable. That'd be incredibly uncomfortable. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, 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 like to the point where I was like, I, I don't. Is that true? Like, is she, is she? I don't know. I definitely reacted to it in a way. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I didn't just uh, glaze over it. But I should have, I should have thought more about it though. She's I mean, she's just bad at sleeping. So, yeah, that's true. maybe that maybe that's why she's so bad at sleeping is because she's sleeping on books. You're right. You're right. Um, yeah. So as they leave, Lookout hooks a sudden turn being lured uh, into the clutches of Monokeros. 
who who lures her in like some kind of beacon. Uh, Ashley, <laughs> Ashley makes Monokeros back down, but the incident promises future consequences. Yes, stupid unit jerk messing with Ashley's favorite person. That's not going to have any kind of lasting consequences. Uh-uh. I, I like that the text doesn't even really try to hide that. Like it specifically shows us how mad Ashley is. Victoria describes her as more pissed than she had been with beasts of burden. She is furious here and she holds strong at least for now she realizes she needs to think and says i'm gonna go for a run and i'm gonna think this stuff through and that's like a a literal example of learning from your mistake yeah right there yeah that's great because because what victoria said about when she killed beast of burden was that she saw nothing of the ashley that she knew yeah. Um, and if she's that pissed off, but she still retains control, then that definitely indicates some some growth. Good job, Ashley. Way to yeah. not kill someone. Yeah. Um, so all this prompts some of the other team members to note that they only ever get a jittery oh shit feeling from Victoria's aura, which we'll later see as a bit of a blow to her because I don't think she realized this. She's been thinking of it as awe or fear, depending on who experiences it. Uh, but, you know, like learning that her friends experiencing the experience that is fear uh, is, is shocking to her because they should, in theory, be experiencing it as awe. Yeah, um, this is interesting. And from my analysis, this could mean a couple things, because first of all, we only have very specific people in the group that um, speak up and, and confirm that um it has the jittery oh shit bits in it. Um, Chris and Tristan are the ones that only say specifically it's always that for us. It, the way Kenzie describes it, it seems like maybe Kenzie experiences it like the awe one sometimes too. Um, so it's not always that way for her. So it's either these people just have a perception of Victoria that she didn't realize or um, her aura just doesn't work the way she thought it did. And, and she just has a misunderstanding of how this thing works. And maybe it's less how people perceive you and more Victoria, how you are perceiving the people you're shooting your aura out at, um, which is an interesting wrinkle in this whole thing. Yeah. I mean, I think my first thought was like, maybe it's just not, uh, working the same way anymore. Like maybe this yeah. is one of the ways in which it's, it's changed. That's that's absolutely true, too. And it, it, it makes you think, right, because it, speaking of perceptions, we've we've had her use this thing in battle constantly, and she's going to use it a bunch this week as well. And think of <laughs> all her teammates, the people around her. If this thing is not if it's not working the way it did, if everyone is experiencing fear, unless there's a specific case like Kenzie, um, then every time she uses it on bad guys, all her allies, everyone she's trying to bring together, all these this cooperation she's trying to to make, like she's a beacon of fear then. And that's not what she wants. Yeah, no, I, I like that. Uh, you're right. Yeah, so they they head back to the hideout. We skip a little bit of time and they start putting together Victoria's plan. Uh, Kinsey hooks up her uh, tinker internet, uh, which is probably illegal. Yeah, I think that's pretty, pretty safe to say. And then Victoria explains her agenda uh, for the teams as finding and focusing on the threats that their team can most appropriately address. Yeah, and like we we, we touched on this plan a little bit last week, and I think we're going to spend some more time on it this week. I, I think this portion of it makes a lot of sense to you know to step back from the day to day crime fighting and go for the 
the big fish. You know what I'm not really seeing with this plan at all, though, Matt? What? Coordination with anyone that is not a cape. Mm-hmm. Maybe talk to the cops. Just let them know what you're doing at all. Maybe. No, mm-hmm. none of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is this is more kind of evidence that the the the, the capes are going forward with their kind of ignore the people we're trying to save portion of their planning. And I think that the capes or the non capes are going to go forward with their more. We hate capes. We want to exclude them from anything we're doing type of planning. And that's, that's only going to create bad, bad outcomes. Yeah, no, that's, that's, I mean, it's interesting. You're picking up on something that's not in the story. Um, and it's interesting that we can definitely draw conclusions from this because our whole last arc wrapped up with a big, big fat warning about what happens when you disregard the humans and when they start to feel like they're out of the loop. Yeah. Yeah. So Victoria and Tristan observe that Kinsey and Chris are conspiring. And after a little bit of back and forth, they realize that Kinsey and Chris conspired to smuggle some of Kinsey's tech into the prison uh, inside a Maggie Holt novel. Uh, And I think it's really interesting the form that Kinsey's argument takes. It's basically, you guys are all potentially super lethal, um, or could be if things were desperate. Things are desperate, so let me use my power all out. Yeah, this is a really interesting line of thinking now, isn't it? Because I don't think she's necessarily wrong. We've seen... Victoria, we've seen other capes get pushed into the state of not holding back. And for the most part, when they get there, we've agreed with the need for it. But Kenzie's power is not one that lends to that kind of crisis situation. Like her getting pushed to the need of going all out is going to look very different from a brute class person getting pushed to that need. Mm-hmm. So it, it, if if the universe, if if the rules of capes decide that that we're OK with Victoria smashing a dude's jaw off because he's about to do something really bad. Is this not an argument? Is this not a good argument for why the universe should be OK with Kenzie taking control of a prison system, even though it's clearly illegal? And if not, what does it say about the society that chooses to separate those two things as as one is acceptable and the other is not? Yeah, no, I mean, there's definitely a lot to go into here because the knee jerk reaction is to say like, well, what Victoria did was like a a, a heat of the moment emergency, like like um, almost self-defense. I mean, you could even make a case that it was self-defense. But but the thing is, do you get to say that it was self-defense if you literally pick the fight and fly up to the guy and uh, like it's. The based on the context, it's not really self-defense. It was a it was a battle. It was a battle that she entered willingly, with the intent and and the willingness to harm people. And Kinsey, likewise, as a cape, um, is is basically asking to be given the same level of like carte blanche with, I, I guess, just doing what whatever she can do as the situation merits it and that's that's definitely risky depending on which powers you're talking about because some people's powers should ne- they should never be allowed to use their powers all out yeah. right and yeah. and and so I, like i don't think it is a very good argument that kenzie's making but only because i think that a lot of the stuff that the capes do as a matter of course 
sort of skirts a line that of things they shouldn't be doing anyway. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I just I just find it interesting that like we could say, okay, Victoria, you're out in the field and you feel threatened. And so you have to you have to go all out. You have to act right now. Um, Kenzie, you will never be in that situation because of the the type of power you have. So like even even if you feel your version of threatened and backed into a corner, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the interesting thing about this is I don't think the, the book is necessarily even like building the up that as a that complex of an argument that the team certainly doesn't even really argue with with Kenzie here. Uh, their their concerned seems to mostly be around the fact that she did this unilaterally without letting any of them know except for Chris without telling them without asking she just did it and that the the main concern they all have seems to be built around that like Victoria says very specifically we talk this sort of thing out first this is the exact opposite of what we're trying to do her whole thing is cooperation and communication um, not just within the team but amongst all teams and how can how can we expand cooperation and communication amongst everyone if we can't have that thing in our own group. And that is, that is the, the kind of the, the point of problem for everyone on this team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So we also learned that Chris's being stupid last episode is revealed as having been part of the ploy, which is kind of delightful because we were, we both kind of went on for a bit about how Chris was, was being ostentatiously stupid and, and like he should yeah. know better than to behave this way. Um, so to learn that this is part of a plan was was fun because I was like, oh, I knew he wasn't stupid. Yeah, we noticed the way the character was being drawn because it was different from how he normally is, which is, again, I think that's good character work. We just didn't get the motivation for that that change in character quite right. Um, I still think there's some there's some real crisis stuff going on with Chris under the surface. But yeah, it, this this specific moment of him acting slightly different was for a very specific reason. And I think it's cool that we can see that um, because the characters are so well defined that differences in actions jump out at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I, that's that's part of why I thought it was delightful. Exactly. So there's this really like brief blink and you'll miss it. Ashley exchange. Ashley's exchange um, that I wanted to just bring up just to make sure we didn't miss it because um, while we're watching Ashley Slashly put the eye thing into Ashley, um, which, by the way, like that could have gone really badly. <laughs> like Kenzie's yeah. like actually worried for a minute because there's like no instruction or anything. So very risky ploy here, Kenzie. But um, we see Slashly say, did you worry when I had my claw so close? Did you fear me? It was the other Ashley talking to our Ashley. I trust you as far as I trust myself. And Chris like dismisses this as like corny or them just trying to be cute. Or funny, but this feels like a very real interaction to me. Like Slashley is talking exactly the way you would expect her to, kind of the way we saw Ashley talk in those glowworm chapters. Um, very performative, very like like kind of overwrought. Mm-hmm. And um Ashley is responding exactly how I would think modern Ashley would, which is like she's kind of playing with words here a bit. Like she's like, I trust you as far as I trust myself, which in theory would be a lot, but we know Ashley doesn't trust herself at all. So she's basically saying here with the turn of phrase, no, I don't really trust you at all, but I don't trust myself either. 
Yeah, that, that's interesting because in the past she would have said that and meant it, and and now she's saying it ironically, and it's yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah. pretty cool. It's just just a little tiny interaction mixed in here that I just thought was absolutely delightful and and needed to be to have some attention brought to it. Yeah, I love it. So yeah, uh, after castigating Kenzie for doing this risky illegal thing, uh, but not really doing anything about it except telling her that they'll have to uh, delay their visit to the prison. But to be fair, that is a pretty lethal consequence for Kenzie. <laughs> I suppose so. Uh, anyway, then they move on to the next topic, records showing that Goddess has been trying to visit people in prison. Which is uh, the first of two kind of cliffhanger moments at the end of these chapters based on Goddess. So uh, if you're if you're guessing that the story is starting to set up a a, a series of conflicts around Goddess, you would be correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And let's move on into 8.5. All right. So we seem to skip ahead a bit again. Yeah, I just want to kind of quickly point out how we do this because I think it's really elegantly done. Um, we, show, we show that time passes by kind of zooming in on Victoria's, the, the, the healing of her bullet wound because we now see that she flexed the arm that was no longer in the sling. The injury was still very much felt. So she's out of the sling. So time has passed to where she's not no longer wearing the sling, but the injury is still felt. So not too much. So we very quickly established time's moved on a bit, but a couple days, maybe not, mm-hmm. not too much time has passed. It's just yeah. a really elegant way of doing that without saying like three days has passed. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So Victoria, Capricorn, and Tress are waiting for a parahuman chase to swing by so they can jump in to help. So, yeah, before we move on from this, I just want to focus on another thing that I think Wildbo spends a lot of time on here in the opening moments of this chapter. Victoria's phone, and more specifically, her phone's idle menu. Uh, We start with this bit right here, right after the first few opening lines that say, I've been idle for far too long because the circle dropped down from the top, obscuring part of the screen. Two options were on the circle. On the left, the phone offered the option of trying to draw power by way of ambient wireless energy, including solar, EM, and whatever else. It would put the phone in a rest mode. On the right, a music note and a list of my music with the phone browsing recent messages and context to try to smart pick a playlist of music to listen to based on my guest mood. So on the left, we got rest. Uh, on the right, there's mood music to try to match whatever mood you're in. And then the middle, you've got this option to swipe up and like go back to whatever you were doing. And I think like Victoria is sitting here just kind of killing time waiting and she's just watching these two options and she's kind of watching them shrink. So specifically seeing the pie slice of rest shrink. Mm-hmm. So I think like these are Victoria's options. You, you can you can rest. You can make maybe focus on your mood, focus on your emotions and the, the and and those things that are are leading you to those emotions or you can swipe up and go right back to the thing that you were doing ignoring those other two choices which is exactly what she does yeah that's pretty funny i mean it's sort of awesome that wild Lo has chosen to do this here where it's not it's not earth so their phones don't have the os's we have and they yeah see, they, they first of all they seem to have like basically tinker technology since they can draw power from the ether basically and they also seem to have some sort of machine learning built in which isn't necessarily tinker tech but kind of strikes me that it can't not be partly tinker related um 
and and then he takes this science fiction idea of how their phones work and how they're slightly different from ours and then turns it into a character moment in the way that you described. I think that's yeah. awesome. No, it really is. And and I think there's some something powerful to that image of Victoria sitting there seeing that pie slice of rest shrink. Mm-hmm. She's in the middle of executing this new plan of hers. She's a little uh, frustrated. We saw in the last chapter her responses to some of her teammates uh, goofing off and some of her teammates behavior was a little frustrating to her. And um, so it's just a great kind of window into into how she's doing and yeah. what and what she's prioritizing. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so it turns out that they're all just hanging out near this really thick traffic, really, really bad, heavy traffic in the evening. Capricorn, at least, is in plain sight where everyone can see him, all the all the drivers of the people in traffic. And this whole thing put me on a mental tangent where while I was reading, even the first time I was reading, I imagined being stuck in literally apocalyptic traffic and seeing superheroes just hanging around, just just kind of watching the traffic, uh, hanging out right by the bottleneck caused by construction and thinking I might lump the parahumans in with with like the cause of the traffic if if I were in the situation and consequently hate parahumans forever yeah especially when he's like surrounded by orange moats right mm-hmm. and orange is like construction color yeah so he's like look it's the construction cape ruining our lives right thanks yeah in fact when i first started reading it i assumed that he was um literally helping the construction workers manage the traffic with his lights like showing people where, where they could drive or something that was my first thought turns out later i think that he was just kind of sketching out where he wanted his blockade to be. Yeah, he is talking with them. Like we see, we do see him like communicate with the construction workers down there. So uh, maybe he is trying to help in some way. But yeah, we, we don't really we don't really get any confirmation of that. Yeah. Yeah. So meanwhile, Tress is painting her body with her tendrils. Victoria comes and chats with her. And I was amused that uh she also had a similar thought that they all that, that, that they ought to do something for the people stuck in traffic. Yeah, but I, I think I think this is when we start really moving into these moments um, where we're exploring how Sveta's doing. We, we get to see her in this this pretty like exposed place. She's she's out of her shell somewhat. She's painting it. She's literally creating herself. And we also see in this moment like how on the edge of control she is. There is a tendril that works its way around her face, gripping her eyelid, working its way into the socket. She shook her head fiercely and it pulled away. Um, th- I think this this is narratively important because Wildbo is, is refreshing our memory on just how like t- tenuous her control can be, which which ends up mattering later in the scene when uh, her her carapace is damaged. But more than that, this is a pretty fascinating window into Sveta in general, because first of all, she's doing this like in public, right? Like she's not as exposed as Capricorn is. She's not standing on top of a vehicle in front of all them, but she's out. And so she feels maybe safe and, and secure enough um, to do this outside. Mm-hmm. One of the first things Victoria thinks when she sees this is, hey, maybe this might not be safe enough with all these people around. But Sveta thinks it's safe. And I think it says something about how in control of her issues she feels like she is right now and how damaging it would be to uh, have a setback against that yeah yeah that's i think you can you can read a lot into it and i don't know how much how far to go because like we know 
we know that her control depends on her like mood and, and her state of mind and what's going on around her. So sure. I can ima- I can imagine it being safe for her to have her tendrils out in this context. But like if something were to suddenly happen and startle her, then you know somebody loses a hand. Um, so yeah, that that's that that's kind of where my my head went in terms of the the risks that she may not be not that she's not thinking about it, but I think she's at a point where she's willing to, I mean, I mean, she, she is isolated from people, I guess. Yeah, so she is, so, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not yeah. like she's yeah being reckless or anything. I'm not trying to say that. I just think, I just think it says something about her that like, she's exposing herself in a public place. She's not locked behind anywhere. She's, she, I think that says something about her and, yeah. and th- th- we're going to continue to kind of explore how she's doing generally. I think she feels like she has a pretty big, good handle on one portion of her life. It's another portion of her life that she feels like she doesn't have as big of a handle on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Good point. So this segues into Sveta admitting that she's struggled with the feeling that she's being self-indulgent and that other people are just taking care of her. Yeah. Not just, just other people. Weld, it all comes back to her boyfriend. Weld has been taking care of her from the start. He, he's, we've seen he's dropped everything to help her. He went on that trip with her. Uh, she says here, she feels that she's not contributing enough to their relationship, and it's making her worried. And this is not the first time that Sveta has brought up boy trouble to people in the group before. Um, it's just always getting interrupted. Like she brings it up and they start and she's like, maybe introduces the thing like just for a sentence or two. And then something else happens and it gets interrupted. And the same things happens here. I think she gets a little further along into it than she normally would, but she has had these recurring beats where she says she really has no one else to talk about this kind of stuff with. She said to Victoria, like she doesn't really have anyone else. She can talk about this kind of guy stuff with and other stuff keeps coming up. And that's what's yep. getting me really worried about her is is that like and, and I don't think Victoria is doing it intentionally. I don't think Victoria is is missing things in Sveta like on purpose. But I just think Sveta has the cape side of herself like as in control as it can be. And I think she like we said, she feels pretty good about this part of her. But there's other parts of her life that I think are kind of quietly crumbling in the background or at least she feels like they're quietly crumbling and because those are so backgrounded and because of the way Sveta is nobody's really noticing it yeah right like you can imagine it being a really big deal for her to be worried about her relationship with Weld um, because she kind of never thought that she would have a boyfriend much less that it would be Weld and so it you can imagine her having a lot of anxiety about it Um, also like Victoria has up until basically the start of this arc, her focus has mostly been on her teammates. She's had this whole thing where like, uh, uh, you know, what am I going to do, Jessica? How am I going to take care of these people, Jessica? Um, we haven't heard a lot of what am I going to do, Jessica, in this arc. And I think that's because her her focus, her sort of like competitive drive, you know, we're seeing that athlete, we're seeing that daughter of Carol come out is now focused on this new uh, team organization idea. And it is like sucked all of the oxygen out of her other concerns. And I don't know if she's aware of that. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think she's compensating for the fact that, that her attention has been drawn this way. And like, it, it, I guess it'll be telling whether she goes back and 
the kind of meets up with Sveta and is like, oh yeah, we never finished that conversation. Or if she's just like, uh, forgets about it, you know, because because yeah. of where her attention is. That's a very good point. Yeah, I, the, the 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 shift of focus is a really good thing to call out because I think that is absolutely true because she has found um, a new mission to be successful with. And I think, you know, not to say that the concerns of her group are not still there. They absolutely are. But I think you're right that they've kind of shifted to the background a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the final thing I'll say about Sveta is I think we've always believed that the crisis point for Sveta was going to be Weld. We've, we've always thought that like, if something happens between her and Weld, this is where we could see Sveta going down a bad road. I don't think we've ever really like, I think the, 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 the common assumption of that has been, uh, he's wounded or killed or ripped away from her. I don't think we've ever thought about just the mundane. Hey, what if this relationship just doesn't work part of it? And I, mm -hmm. I find that really fascinating and I interested to see where it goes. Yeah, me too. So this, as we were saying, this conversation is interrupted by flapper shortcut and Sprite showing up chasing villains, trial and error in a few trucks full of livestock and uh, other materials. <laughs> yeah. Um, this, that's, that was a whole weird thing that I don't want to get into, but <laughs> I just want to say that I still can't believe that Sprite is the one I'm excited about seeing and shortcut is the one that I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Like I was so down on Sprite's creepy, like forward flirting of Vic to Victoria at first. Like that made me so uncomfortable, but he's the neat guy now. And there's this moment when Victy moves, like Victoria flies in to give him some of her flight power. And he's just, just like joyously screams. Yes. Like, I just, I think he's neat. Yeah. There's something I picked up on in this chapter that I didn't actually before, which was that, um, I think maybe he can only borrow mover powers because, yeah. um, we've only seen him borrow mover powers. And he mentions that he has an intuitive sense for understanding how mover powers work well he gets um, the he gets a uh, trials chains is that considered a mover oh does power? he get well yeah. see see he uses it as a mover power that's the thing is 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 depends on what his power he does get he does he does get trials chains but trial uses i don't know i guess we're gonna have to wait and see what else he ends up copying i yeah, don't remember maybe him. he's just so bad at the non-mover powers he just doesn't bother because they do they do say multiple times through the this whole these whole fights that like he's only really good at at mover stuff so mm -hmm. yeah yeah i don't know yeah it seems like it would be a bit broken if he could copy any power because then you could just like get to alexandria's or to you know uh valkyries or whatever yeah, if, if you just hang around yeah so anyway yeah i don't know we'll see so yeah, trial controls thick chains which he uses to move quickly and as a mode of, of attack and defense and Error has a fucky effect around her, which we'll learn about as we go. Yeah, Flapper describes it as a, a general fucked effect, which is yeah. pretty perfect. Yeah. So Trial is strong enough to smash through a thick, badass, and decorated wall erected by Capricorn. Yeah, and I think this is a really clever way to like immediately gauge power levels for the readers. We know 
we see we saw Tristan like spending a lot of time on this wall. Like we saw the moat swirling and then we take time to show like you're right. It's it's decorated. It has goat heads on it. He spent a lot of time constructing these things. And we know that the walls have stopped most tough capes like even Moose had to punch through it a couple of times before he got through it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so he just trial just goes right through it. So we've immediately got a handle on how powerful he is. And it's just one of these quick, efficient moments to me that just worked so well. I also is this, I have this question that I may be making way too much out of nothing, but there's there was the moment previously when Capricorn crushed the top with his with his fingers, and then there's a moment in in these chapters when Victoria crushes the javelins using what seems like not very much strength to, to her, and I had this thought like, what if Capricorn's stone is like getting weaker? That's an interesting thought. I hadn't thought of that, but the evidence is there for that interpretation for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, we have seen, we have not seen it like work well uh, in a bit. Yeah. And, and, well, and we do get specific called out moments like uh, the chains. He tries to stop the change and the assumption there is just, Hey, trial's really powerful, but mm-hmm. what if it's not? Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a thought and, we will probably very quickly see whether it's right or wrong, but it's fun to note anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So the flyers of the group try to attack fairly unsuccessfully due to errors effect, causing people to try that, that, that try to attack her being thrown off in ways that end up hurting their own side. Capricorn uses a, a cool move to fire water spears that then turn in, into stone javelins, which impale the ground and block the fleeing van. Having stopped the vans, the good guys face off with the villains. Victoria gives them poor grades on their costumes. Not, not just their costumes, but on their names, their like whole deal. Like she just grades everything about them bad. Mm-hmm. And like she hates the name trial and error. She she's like, doesn't make sense. Like yeah. it expo- like she's like the name error exposes too much about what your power is. Trial doesn't fit with it thematically. Um, I think like it's I was trying really hard to find a way for why trial would work for a chain manipulator. And I guess if you like try really hard, you could maybe squint at a reason. But yeah, there's it's it's a pretty hard squint Um, and, and not one that our character wants to make at all. And I think I think there's purpose to this, though. There's purpose to her taking the time to to show how much she dislikes just everything about their whole thing. And it's because they're going to lose and they're so, so she's going to talk about in the next chapter about how tenacious the team is and how they have to go out and take these people down. And I think part of that is because she disrespects this group so much and they lose to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, there's definitely anger. There's definitely anger backing it up. I think that's yeah. some of the sarcasm and, and the kind of viciousness that's entered her internal monologue. Um, there, there, I say even like the, the, that competitiveness again coming out and cause you're, you're right. Like if it almost feels like we're seeing a different side of Victoria than we've seen up till now, I don't know if that's overstating it, but, um, the fact that she's having these kind of aggressive thoughts, it doesn't, doesn't really sound like the warrior monk so much. I think it's, it's a more focused, mm-hmm. um, trying to think of the right word. I don't, I don't think it's a completely different version of Victoria. I just think it's Victoria with a mission um, mm-hmm. tends to act like this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. 
Yeah, so um so as the heroes stand off against the two villains, an attack from trial damages Sveta's carapace. Afterwards, uh while while Victoria is tending to the the damage, uh the villains refuse to back down, despite Shortcut and Sprite emphasizing the rules. They even uh the, the villains even threaten to attack the injured Sveta and the civilians. Yeah, which is again I think a pretty important factor into this whole galvanizing Victoria to to put into effect her plan here because these two don't give a shit about the rules and i think that becomes even more important when we learn who they're working for in a bit yeah and you know speaking of victoria being angry i didn't pull the quote but when when they mention attacking her and sveta her response is like if you do that you'll just be a bloody smear on the pavement like it's it's like extremely vicious yeah and uh and, and angry so that goes into that kind of through line that she's got a lot of anger here yes so as victoria tries to patch up the damaged costume the tendrils move around her touching her in turn victor victoria has her force field up which incurs the risk of the wretch trashing sveta's armor and completely freeing her or doing something else dangerous this was just so tense scott it's it's so great these two characters that are so close to each other relationship wise they both care about each other so much are are struggling because they're too close to each other and i just love how this is described a tendril wrapped itself around my hand it squeezed and it squeezed against my force field the force field didn't break but i was aware of the strain fuck me i was too close to sveta i could see the whites of her eyes she was too close to me I destroyed door handles on the cars and pavements like this, and she was this close. I was too close to her. She was too close to me. They're both struggling to hold on to something that they both know is difficult to control. And and I think going back to that that tendril in the eye moment, I think that's that that is setting up this this reminder that while yes, Feta is in control, it is a it is a perilous control, and it helps it helps reinforce the tension of this scene. And I, it's it's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wish we could dwell on that longer, but it's just a perfectly written tense scene. Yeah. So once she drags Sveta out of harm's way, the heroes attack the villains again. Victoria is able to counter Error's power by kick, kicking up a ton of dirt to shower down on her, blinding her long enough that she and Sveta can grab her. Hooray! But wait, is this is this the second beat in our Scott reads too much into things three beats? Is it? I believe it is. Yay. Because here's what Victoria says. She says, I hit the ground, scooping up as much of the wretch as I could get and sending a cascade of dirt and clumps of earth at air and into the air. In this process, I hit shortcut because of course I did. There's there's a second one. Yeah. It's a second one. It's another really sarcastic, frustrated comment from Victoria on the state of things. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, Yeah. So I wonder if this is... Uh, an intentional parallel here this idea of villains trying to steal trucks of stuff and only getting away with some of them it's definitely not not an intentional yeah. parallel i mean stealing trucks is something that criminals do but definitely reminds me of ashley and her failed or, or partially failed uh robbery yeah but anyway. i mean I, I think i think a callback to that imagery is what while possibly not intentional is is fair to do certainly what it did for me was it it made me empathize with 
trial and error more and, and the, the fury and frustration they're feeling because I remember it being in Ashley's head when she was stymied in her attempt to, you know, rob. And yeah, so like I, I was more I was kind of more like, uh oh, if they're in anything like the headspace she was in, then the good guys should be worried. Yeah, I like so, that. I like so. That. So uh, still, when Trial moves to attack the civilians in their cars, the heroes back down and let the two villains get away. Nobody's happy about it, least of all Tristan and, and Victoria. Yeah, no surprise there. They do not like to lose, especially to B minuses, as Victoria <laughs> called them, that break the rules. I know. It's so offensive. Yeah. So Victoria now passes along her message to Sprite to offer to coordinate between teams to target the bigger problems. Yeah, which uh, because it's Sprite, it actually goes well, not shortcut because he sucks. He's terrible. Um, and then, Matt, at the very end of this chapter, we zoom back into Victoria's phone and that waiting program that started the chapter off. The phone has selected a song, Matt. It's selected uh-huh. a song. The automated process for idling has selected one of the songs I downloaded for Gilpatrick during one of the patrol's visits to school. Gun rules as a song for grade schoolers because of course it had. Three beat. I need a I need like a three beat soundboard. Yeah. Yeah. We need that. Yeah. So I, I like I, I've been kind of mostly joking about this. I don't think this is like an intentional, like drawn three beat of using this phrase. But like because of course it has is something I used to use in my writing like a lot. And uh-huh. to the point where I like I used to train myself to see it when i wrote it and then get it out of there not uh, not because i think it's like a bad turn of phrase and you shouldn't use it but it just i used it so damn much that i needed to 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 calm it down a little bit so that's why these like jumped out at me i think because i'm so used to seeing this in my writing and being like uh oh, scott you got to get that out of there that when i read it in other people's <laughs> writing it just jumps out at me but i mean i think this is a really really big indicator of her mood as we've been saying this whole time she is in in a frustrated place and she's kind of lashing out sarcastically because um because things just keep breaking against her like she's she's trying to do all these things she's trying to keep all these plates spinning and whenever things break a certain way they of course of course break the way that is the most annoying for her and i i completely understand that that kind of frustration yeah, the uh, gun song for grade schoolers thing is like the perfect representation of this is how things are now. You know, it's it's like we've accepted yeah. that the world is so crappy that we're just going to go ahead and teach the next generation that they have to know how to use guns to defend themselves. Um, so her phone choosing to throw that in her face is, yeah. is like the perfect thing to get on her nerves at this point. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's just like it's you you understand her frustration and i just hope that it doesn't lead somewhere bad mm-hmm. you know yeah. like i mean this this could be leading down a road that has her lash out in a way that doesn't go well yeah so uh briefly at the end of this battle she tries to use the wretch in a controlled and intentional and calm way to pick up and manipulate capricorn's rock javelins and after she maybe kind of has partial success, not really, um, the text says, we'll work this out. I told the wretch. Yeah. Which is, so which is great. The, the fascinating thing about this to me is 
she was going to do it in the heat of battle almost like she was walking up to the to the javelins to pick them up right when uh, I think it was shortcut said no stop and like pulled it like stopped the fight and then then they decided to let them go. So I, I wonder if she would have tried to do this in the heat of battle instead of in this calm after battle. Let's test if I can do it mode. Um, it doesn't work here, so it definitely wouldn't have worked like while she was in the middle of fighting. But I, this is this is kind of a huge moment for her, though, regardless, like of, mm-hmm. of deciding to deciding to to like take out this tool on her tool belt and use it. Um, I think and it's I don't think it's 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 an accident that earlier in this section, Kenzie was talking about how all capes have these moments that they're pushed to where they have to go full force and and can't hold back anymore, Um, because even when Victoria does go full force, she does it in a way that's like inherently chaotic because that's just the way the wretch works. And maybe she's seeing or wanting the warrior monkness of her to learn to control that force. So when she needs to go full force and use her whole repertoire of abilities she does it in a controlled way mm-hmm. and i think that's very interesting yeah yeah i mean the, the she she is the person who understands the benefit of training you know she she wants people to control and train their powers and yet a little bit hypocritically she has been avoiding using the wretch unless like absolutely necessary rather than say going to some isolated area and Mm -hmm. seeing what she can get it to do, you know, trying different tricks to try to try to control it. It, And and it's maybe it's occurred to her that she should, maybe it hasn't, but regardless, the reason that she hasn't is that it's so unpleasant for her to use. Yeah. But I think this is another kind of maybe shift in the move from coping to healing Mm -hmm. Um, because like coping with the wretch is just like, I, I'm just not going to look at it. I just, I won't look at it and then it won't be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but in order to get control of it, you're going to have to look at it. Like she says here, we'll work this out. She, she speaks to it and says, we will work this out. Yeah. Um, so she's, she's taking it upon as part of herself and fi- saying, I'm going to find a way to get a handle on this. And that's a yeah. big step. Oh yeah, For this sure. is huge. This is huge. Like, like it, it's just it's thrown in there into the text. She doesn't dwell on it, but I thought it was. I was like, I was thrilled that that yeah. just that little sentence to herself in her head. Yeah, I mean that's. I'm glad you pulled that sentence out particularly because I think that 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 says so much. Yeah. So as Tristan uh, informs her that it was Prancer's group behind this, she calls back to base and they begin to organize the follow up strike to take these guys out. So that Prancer, huh? He's a doing well yeah remember when he was the guy who didn't have what it takes to lead the group of bad guys and we kind of talked about what if he was pushed to that point what would he look like um maybe he'd look like having two people like this working for him who don't give a shit about the rules and are led down a super dark path yeah um you know the thing that that struck me about prancer after reading these chapters and kind of doing the mental prep of thinking them through was that this is a fantastic mirror for what Victoria is trying to do here. The the first thing that we like, like the sole thing we know about him, basically not the sole thing. The main thing we know about him is that he was trying to 
set up a different way of organizing villains. Yeah. And, and, um, something that was, that, that was more suited to the realities of the post-apocalypse world. And he had his own ideas back then about what that would look like. It looks like now his, his ideas have evolved actually, but that's still kind of his, is his idea is, is, you know, times are, times are changing and we have to do things differently than they were done before. And that's exactly what Victoria is doing just in a, just in a different way. And for the heroes. Yeah. I like that connection a lot. I like it a lot. And I like, we, at the beginning of these, I think it was these chapters. Maybe it was this section. It's it's all blurring together to me now, Matt, but Victoria like takes a look at hollow point on a map. Um, actually maybe it is next chapter. I don't remember. Anyway, Victoria takes a look at hollow point on a map and finds out that crime wise it's doing okay. Um, it's, it's actually maybe doing better than some of the areas around it, which is, I think like them giving themselves some success. But I, so I think we're, we're connecting hollow point and Prancer and we're seeing, okay, we might've won here, but what did we, what did we create in that process? Right. I think it's going to be very interesting to see where his character goes. I'm I'm really looking forward to getting um, some more information on, on him and how he's doing and what he's doing and what he believes these days. Yeah, me too. Me too. So we move on into 8.6 and we pick up pretty quickly um, right after that last chapter. Uh, Victoria is musing aloud to her teammates, Tress and Capricorn, how one thing their team has in common across all of the members is tenaciousness. So is that true for all of them? I think in different ways. I mean, that's kind of the case they make is that they're all people who've had to struggle Mm -hmm. and come through. Um, But definitely they all have their own um, twist on it, right? I don't know. Do you you disagree? No, no. I was just doing that thing where I challenged things (laughs) for no reason. Um, I mean, I can, like I would say, like, like, yeah, I don't know. There, there's some that I would call more tenacious than others, I guess. But yeah, I I don't know how you like build build tenacity into like a a brand unless you're Jack Black. Um, but she's definitely not wrong. I don't think. Yeah. Um. But but again, I think this is like her kind of starting to drum up support and and build her frustration levels towards these damn shitty dressed villains that they have to go take take out now because they it, this cannot stand mm-hmm. yeah because it's funny I, how much energy she spends ragging on the villains when <laughs> when like she hasn't they haven't put that much energy into their own costumes like capricorn has a really nice costume yeah but, or their names they just kind of throw them out there and say nah okay yeah that's what i am now yeah isn't her costume like assembled from like a bargain bin of costume parts yes so I mean, come on, Victoria, come on. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so Saveta, once again, doesn't like people talking about things that remind her that she's a mutant. Yeah, and again, again, Matt, here we have more more story spending spending time priming us that Saveta is not doing okay. She's got issues going on at home that she can't talk about with anyone unless except for one person, but then they get interrupted and then she's got the, the she knows the war is here and, and, and maybe she's not as, uh, as dealt with her current state uh, as she puts off as she is, especially after this moment where she almost lost control. Um, I think the book is throwing a lot of red flags at us around Sveta and I don't think she can snack, 
snap them all up with their <laughs> with their tendrils. Uh, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. We're and Victoria is distracted. This is yeah. Everyone's kind of getting their turn, and when it's Sveta's turn, Victoria's not paying attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they join up with a largish group of heroes: uh, Fume Hood, Lighter, Foxtrot. We have twelve capes in total from different teams. We don't know all of their names. Yeah. So this really serves as the whole everybody's working together team breakthrough strategy trial run 1.0 right yep i'm just gonna call it the taylor maneuver sounds good um so this is this is big not just for stopping this group of bums but for sending a message to both the heroes and the villains that they're super serious about all this stuff which i think victoria all but declares outright in her later conversations with foxtrot she says an ideal world i'd like to do something here that would get us attention enough that any abstainers would feel like they need to join if they wanted to share the limelight but that's all secondary for now we live in it live and we fix what's broken and that's a pretty good mission statement if i've ever heard one yeah yeah i mean it's, it's realistic um and, and and it makes sense so Tress and Antares lead the attack with Foxtrot keeping pace with her sneaky blink strangery teleporty thing. Yeah, and we get a little judgment from Victoria on Foxtrot, right? Like she says she's thinking about how how fast she rose up in the ranks of her place and and how she seems like super good with her power for a not very uh active cape. Like, I think she only start like only appeared on the scene a year ago. So she makes the assumption that she must have been a cape before and probably not a hero one. So now she's made the assumption that this person was a villain before, which is not a lot of evidence to support that. But I think we have to remember that Foxtrot is the one that like spoiled their whole um, plan in hollow point. And it's the one that brought advanced guard in. So we know she doesn't already like this person very much. So maybe we're seeing a little bit of projection here on this person that Victoria doesn't like. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. I, I think we are definitely meant to be paying attention to Foxtrot. Yeah. So she calls in to base again and finds Kenzie still there, but Chris is gone on the phone. Rain mentions that they can call him precipice for now. <laughs> Continuing the tradition of members of this team, just picking names in a rush and then they're just them forever. Yep. I mean, Victoria's already started thinking of him as precipice. Yeah. In fact, that threw me off because I forgot because I was, I don't know, because my brain doesn't work sometimes. I forgot (laughs) that he had told them that. So later when it's like precipice says something, I'm like, who's (laughs) Who's that? Who's who's precipice? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. So Kenzie's camera feed shows that trial and error have met up with a larger group, including three Cape villains. They're still being harassed by flapper, sprite and shortcut, but those three aren't really making any headway. Uh, Victoria then flashes back to when she asked her parents about Marquis while in the asylum. Um, and it's so basically this this idea of something about villains and their treasures. Ding. It's another yeah. this is zone out counter. What are yep. we up to? Uh, well, just one so far, which is which well, is one of actually, the episode. But how- one of the well, yeah, one of the episode. But this has been three chapters. This is quite a stretch of being present for Victoria. You're right. You're right. Um, the fascinating thing about this to me is like once you've seen enough of these Victoria zone outs, you, you begin to see a pattern behind her zone outs. Right. Um, it, it normally seems to start with a memory of before the accident happened. It's usually a memory with her mom imparting some Carol like lesson. And then this inevitably 
shifts to a memory of the incident or her life after the incident, her life in the hospital, because her whole existence is now filtered through that two years of her life. And she finds this debilitating to a point where it almost starts like a cycle of of drowning. And then uh, she's usually interrupted by something happening in the real world and then comes out of it. Um, and, and this cycle, like it's I think it's intentionally designed that way. And I think we've we've seen it so many times we can see a design behind it. And I just love this idea of everything always starts with a memory before the incident, but it eventually becomes filtered through something that happened in that hospital because that is that is key to every moment of her life as far as she's concerned it all goes through that yeah yeah no that's that's great that you that is exactly the pattern i think and I, and i also think that she recovers from this one faster and and, and it's like she doesn't lose time the way yeah. she often does um, I, I mean, I really think there's something to this idea that she's like more in the zone in these chapters. I think you're probably right. Um, one of the things that did jump out to me here, and I might be totally mistaken about this. I didn't have time to go back and, and research to the level I needed to. But um, she kind of third persons her time in the hospital here. Um, she pushes some of it onto the wretch itself. Like like when when uh, she asks about Marquis the wretch is the one that types out the letters. The wretch had typed out one word. Um, now she could have possibly done this before, but I don't remember her, her doing it. I don't, I don't remember her separating the two parts of herself way back then into Victoria thinks it, but the wretch, the physical actions are all done by the wretch, which, um, as I'm remembering it are, is something completely separate from me already. Even, even at that point back, back in time. I, I, yeah, I mean, th- th- that's fascinating that, I mean, that, that even sort of strikes me as a, as a bit of a bit of healing that she doesn't identify with that person as much that she's able to distance herself from it. I don't know if that's good or bad, but potentially good. I think, um, I think you could read it as good because I think this idea, like part of her problem is she can't see herself as anything more than the wretch and as anything more than that, that, blob of flesh mm-hmm. and she's got to learn to separate herself from that that is not that she she is not that anymore and and the the force field is a little little literal reminder of that thing that's following her around everywhere so yeah, yeah. so distancing herself of it might be a good thing i could also see it's a bad thing because it's like it it is also yes a part of you um it's it's part of who you were and it's if this force field stays the way it is it's part of who you are are going to be. Yeah. Well, I think she's thought of herself as like a wretch before, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, this is definitely the first, or I don't know, not definitely, but I feel like this is the first time she refers to herself as the capital wretch. Yeah. Um, I don't, yeah, so. I don't remember. I, I honestly don't remember if that, if that's ever been done, that the version of her in that form, she called outright the wretch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let us know people. Yeah. Call us so, out. If we're wrong, please let us know. Yeah. Right. So Cryptid now shows up on the scene, having transformed into a flying form and then into a giant grub pregnant with writhing fetal ghouls. Jesus Christ. I, how, what, what are the emotions that are going to be describing this one? I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. I, I can't even speculate. That's insane. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. His forms yeah. just keep getting better. Yeah, seriously. So I'm so mad we didn't get to see the fetal ghouls. Yeah, and like it's like it's so weird because 
I like, sorry, go ahead. We'll get to it in a second. Okay. Uh, Rain and Ashley also appear in hologram form to survey the scene. Yeah. The giant mommy caterpillar also has just like holograms on its shoulder of two more of the team members. Yeah. And like this interaction when he's like, you're like, you're one fucked up dude. And he's like, he's calling attention to which part of that he disagrees with. And it's the, the man part because he's got babies in his tummy. Um, (laughs) And and then Rain just nopes out. He's just like, yeah. nope, I'm gone. I'm not going to be a hologram on your shoulder anymore. It's such like a uh, it, it's really great. I think it's a really great like kind of weird but also funny moment in this battle, um, which I don't I don't know. But like, it never felt like. And I don't think we're supposed to feel a lot of like very serious threat behind this this portion of the fight i don't know if you did i i don't think the tension's on whether or not there's gonna they're gonna win i think the tension is on um whether or not victoria's whole new plan is going to work so i don't think any of this kind of silliness like dispels the tension yeah no i mean it it felt like they were just building up an absolutely overwhelming force yeah and and that they were definitely gonna win the only tension was maybe somebody gets injured by errors power you know like like one of the heroes injures another hero or kills another hero that would have been a uh a possible outcome you know yeah, um, yeah but yeah. yeah i felt like i was pretty sure they were gonna win um yeah so yeah the heroes attack from all sides from rooftops uh trial uses cleat as a giant wrecking ball which is pretty awesome um, a combination of foxtrot's harassment and victoria using the wretch to stop the flying ball of death in its tracks solve that problem and then i, I wanted to point out fume hood is like the star player here and uh like d- due to her um ranged explosive debilitating but non-lethal like like power um she just takes down a huge number of of the unpowered people and also some of the powered people it, it's a it's a very it's a very good power for this type of of like large scale fight i think yeah and i think it's really important to, to see fumehood and have victoria see fumehood as kind of like a a success story of redefining yourself right because mm-hmm, like yeah. she has she has presumably from what we've seen succeeded at it. Like she was this person who made these mistakes and, and tried really hard to change. And we had this moment where she got shot and we're like, Oh my God, the world is not going to let you change is not going to let you improve yourself is not going to let you become a better person. But so far she's managed to overcome that. And I think that's something that all of our main characters need to see. Yeah, like Victoria noted that she like had a had a really good attitude when she showed up and and yeah, she's a she's a star player here. Yeah. Um and and I like this bit where Victoria is thinking we were working more as a collective now, trading off, being aggressive, being different without judgment. This was what I wanted this organization to be. It would take tuning. Um yeah. yeah. No, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, no, I I just I thought this was a great sort of encapsulation of what's going on in her mind. Um, this isn't how she described it to the other guys. Actually, this is focusing more on the combat side of, of like, yeah, we need, we, we get a large group of, of people. We bring them together for particular operations like this. And we don't focus so much on taking credit. We, we let people shine in the role where they're going to shine. And yeah, I, it's it's sort of an expression of her personality and an expression of what she wants this this uh, organization to be. Yeah, it's it's so funny throughout this whole 
series, there's been talk about like building a team that has like that or everyone's strengths play off each other and cover each other's weaknesses and and how hard it is to put a team together like this of, of people. And Victoria's just kind of said, why don't we just like draw from everyone? Like what, yeah. what like what what team of five people can do that um, grabbing the best person from for a situation from all teams could do. And I think it's it's something that probably will just work better um, as long as you can get past the the selfishness and and the the need for recognition and the need to advance and all these kind of innately human traits that each one of these people have. And I think that's like they just they had a success here. They they won. Um, but I think that the problem is going to be how you keep, how you keep this ball rolling in a way that it stays together and cohesive and people don't, don't succumb to their human nature. Right. Cause there's, there's, there's gotta be a reason this hasn't already happened. Right. And, and, and why this didn't happen in bet all the time. Um, because the capes by their nature, um, don't take, take well to this kind of friendly buddy buddy cooperation um they they rub each other the wrong way um and but but yeah i mean thematically we've got we've got we've got um prancer trying to do something like this for the villains we've got victoria trying to do something like this for the heroes we've got goddess whose whole theme as a villain was (laughs) doing this to a whole planet yep (laughs) Um, so like, yeah, this is where our themes are are lasering in on right now. Yeah. Yeah. So Victoria now backs off a bit and lets Sprite and Shortcut take the lead since this is their arrest and she doesn't want to steal their thunder and, and like that doesn't want that to be kind of what that's, what the situation is perceived as. Um, she just wants to showcase what this concept can do and develop it to the point where they can potentially take down goddess. And there's your second goddess. Uh, cliffhanger of the week. Yep. Goddess is the threat, everyone. Goddess yep. on the horizon. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a, a great end of this chapter, which was a pretty fun, pretty action-packed chapter. We had two kind of chapters in a row that were had a, a fair amount of action in them, and I think thought it was fun and enjoyable. And it had been it had been a little while since we got to really dive into just some fun Kate battling. Um, I enjoyed it, and yeah. I'm really into where the story is going at this point, and. I know there's another chapter out that's been out for a few days that I have not read, and I'm sure you have. But uh, I'm excited for where the story's going. I think all our characters are really interesting places. I could see the conflicts, the intercharacter conflicts that are going to be coming, as well as those big conflicts on the horizon. And that's always a really good place to see, be in a story. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, back into the pattern. Yeah. All right. All right, Scott. Let's wrap it up with some name game. All right. Um, first precipice it's like a big cliff yeah it's like an edge you're gonna fall off you're on the edge yeah so what is i mean what i mean this is very interesting right because like this is what he picks yeah i mean powers wise i he can't really fall to his death yeah so that's where that works i guess true um but i mean like is is does he still in his mind think he's in like a, a a really bad spot where he's in a lot of he's in a lot of danger still? He's, that that's that's what was interesting to me is is when we last saw him it didn't feel like it right but 
the the name suggests that he might feel that way. Or perhaps this is an old, old name that he came up in the middle of, oh, God, they're after me. And he just <laughs> hasn't bothered to come up with a new one. And he's much less concerned about it. And that's why he's not really thrilled with the name, because he's, he feels like it doesn't fit him anymore. But yeah, yeah, that 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 might be it, too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, when I I read it, I was like, yeah, I that's that one's a little opaque to me. I'm not having a lot of uh, ideas of what that could mean. Yeah. Yeah. And then Foxtrot. This is a dance. Yeah. This is dancing. Yeah. I don't really know what kind of dance it is. I think it's, it's like also, a, a waltz kind of. It's also, isn't it the NATO phonetic letter for F, which yes. for, for some reason it just strikes me that the woman who is always joking and trying to like enjoy, enjoying punny names would would try to, I don't know, make some kind of spin there. Who knows? Uh, for F? yeah what you know the the f word scott oh but but what but but what is i mean but her her power is basically teleporting and and you know creeping up on people and stuff um i I guess that's like a dance yeah Yeah, she's like dancing around like she's like dance she's yeah they lead her and she teleports and follows and yeah it's it's a dance i like it i like it it works Yeah, yeah i like it all right discussion question scott here we go. Compare and contrast Victoria's new hero organization idea to the PRT's organization. Ooh. Yeah. I'm interested to see what you guys come up with. Me too. And that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85. And Matt's is at Mordinamail Foxtrot. If you're not already subscribed to We've Got War, do we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. As always, you can find this, all the other podcasts we do, and all of our writing, essays, film, and TV criticism, and more at DailyPlanetFilms.com. Don't forget that you, if you are listening to this on the day it came out, that is Friday, July 27th, tonight... At 9.30 p.m. Central Time, the Daily Planet Book Club is meeting once again, this time to discuss Salman Rushdie's controversial novel, The Satanic Verses. And that's going to be a really interesting one, Matt. This it's going to be quite gonna a thing. Be a very, it's going to be a struggle, I think, yeah. uh, to talk about this and sound intelligent. But yeah, we're going to do our best. Yeah. And uh, if you like any of our shows and want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash Films. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in our quarterly fan art contests, Q&A sessions, access to live streams of our recording sessions, and our excellent Discord chat, which people were just talking about today that it's the best Discord that they're in. Wow. I don't know if you saw that discussion. I did not. I, I did, Since I've been on vacation, I have been not doing my due diligence of hanging out in Discord. Um, thanks, yeah. guys. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Special thanks to new Planeteers, uh, Sky's Edge, and John F. at the $1 level, Captain Planet Iris at the $10 level, and Kryptonian Kira upgrading to the $20 level. Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks, guys. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, we appreciate it so much. And as always, make sure you go over to Wildbo's Patreon, patreon.com slash Wildbo, and donate to him as well. It is his world, and we're just playing in it. And if you can't afford to donate right now, that is absolutely okay. You can instead help us out by heading on over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a rating and a review. Once again, two weeks in a row, 
no new reviews to read. It's very upsetting. Yeah. Fix, fix it. How do well, I know if you guys like me or not? Do you like I me? I know. Yeah, we haven't heard do from you in over a week. Do you like us? Well, that's it for the show this week. Next <laughs> week, we'll hopefully all be back to normal and covering chapters 8.7 and 8.8. .8. I have to cough so much. <coughs> I'm going to stop recording now. Okay.